all that is within me, bless his name. We're always looking for blessings. We want the Lord to bless us with healing, with finances, with, with good things all around. But now I want to challenge you, bless him. Bless him with all that is within you. I know I'm a Braves fan, and when somebody hits a grand slam from the Braves, I go crazy. I lose my voice. I shout and I holler and I dance around. I'm not going to do that for the Braves and not do it for my Lord. All that is within me, even my pocketbook. So as you prepare your offerings, the ushers come to come forward. Prepare your offering. Add a little bit to missions because missions is the heart of what we do here at Bethel. Missions. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity that you give us to give unto you just a small portion of all that you give to us. Father, and at all that is within us, let us praise you. Praise you with our most precious thing, which is sometimes our pocketbook. Lord, bless the giver that that they may receive double fold as you had promised back. But we're not giving to get back. We're given to honor you, to bless you, and to obey you. Bless the giver in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for the offering. Just let me stand here a moment. I did it for 54 years and I haven't done it in six months. So just. <laughs> How many of you believe that God has the right man to stand behind this pulpit today? Amen. Amen. I'm here to do two things sing a song. And they talk about Wednesday night. We begin a new study on Wednesday night. It's called In the Footsteps of the Savior. 
where this came from, I, I've had a lot of downtime lately. A lot of downtime lately. And I was thinking about where Jesus went while he was on the earth. And it came to my mind, where did he go? Why did he go? And what happened when he got there? I began to think about that, think about that, think about that, study that, think about it. And then I was online and saw this book by Max Licato. Of course, it was no-brainer. I'm going to get this book in the footsteps of the Savior. He is one of my wife and myself's favorite authors. So we're going to start teaching from this Wednesday night in the footsteps of the Savior. It's, it's an easy-read book if you'd like to go online and order it, In the Footsteps of the Savior by Max Licato. And then Wednesday night, I'm going to give out, I'm going to be teaching Wednesday night, I want to give out this uh, map. It is a map and, and sites of Jesus' ministry in Israel. I haven't seen anything like it. It's, it's just great. It, it shows where he went, and it shows what he did when he got there. But isn't that interesting? Where did he go? Why did he go? And what happened when he got there? And I was thinking about, where did he go? Jesus said, I must need to be go through Samaria. Where did he go? He went to Samaria. Why did he go? Very interesting. And what happened when he got there? And another place I was thinking, where did he go the three days after he died? Where did he go? He told the thief, thief on the cross today, you'll be with me in paradise. So he went to paradise. Whoa. And um, why did he go to paradise? Why did he go to hell? That's where it was, paradise and hell. And, uh, and what happened when he got there? I'm going to tell you Wednesday night. It's very, very interesting. Stuart Hamlin was a, a uh, Hollywood actor. I wouldn't say he's a star, but he was an actor. And... Uh, he was a Christian. He was a believer. And he was good friends with John Wayne, the Duke. Now, I mean, some of you have heard this, but I love this story. And uh, John Wayne was over at Stuart's house one night. He, John Wayne and his wife and Stuart and his wife, they were sitting around the table talking. And somebody said, you know, it's no secret what God can do. And when John got up to leave, he turned to Stuart and said, Stuart, you're the writer song about that. So after everyone left, he was sitting at the table. It was late at night, and the old, the old clock down the hall began to chime. And here's what he wrote. The chimes of time ring out anew, a 
Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength and courage to renew. Do not be disheartened. And he wrote this. For I have news for you. It is no secret what God can do. What He's done what he's done for others he gonna do do for you he took that pen he said with arms wide open pardon you well it is no secret what God can do. My wife and I, we spent from nine o'clock to uh, continue to play. So three o'clock in the afternoon this past Thursday at Duke Hospital. We were there all those hours. And they put me through the mail. Bone scan, blood work, CT scan. You got to get in there and that donut and just, oh, I hate that thing. If you've ever been, you know what I'm talking about. But they checked me up once. They checked my brain, by the way. They did, and, and I'm okay. But when the doctor looked at me four years ago and said, you have three months to live, it's kind of good to go back to the hospital four, four years later. And they put you through all that. And everything came out just good. It is a no secret what my God can do what he's done for us. Brother Dan, what he's done for others. Sister Chosen, he gonna do for you. With arms wide open he'll part Pardoned. Well, it is. God, I love thee. Can I sing it one more time? Can I sing it one more time? Sing it with me. Most of you know it. It is no secret what God can do. 
It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. Sing it out with arms wide open. Come on in. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. Well, it is, it is no secret what God can do. You may be seated. Brother Steve Holder, I could not think, but Derek standing next to you. His son, three years, I mean, how many years ago has it been, Steve? Gail? 20? His son in a very severe accident. Out of the, out of the automobile, his brain's on the, on the pavement. Stand up, Derek. Would you give God a good hand? Praise God. He's alive. They said he could not live. And here he is. You're handsome, Derek. Praise God. Brother, Brother Larry. Oh, I'm sorry. What wonderful, relevant, real-life testimonies the faithfulness of God. Last week we talked about the trials of life. We talked about some of these very things that, are, that we may all face at certain times, whether it's sickness, whether it's an accident. God's faithful. He'll see you through those trials. And so thank you, Pastor Don. Wasn't it good to hear Pastor Don sing again and stand in front of this pulpit? And to hear Miss Judy sing. I mean, play. Thank you, Miss Judy. It's good to have you back. Please buy your book for Wednesday night study. I'm not going to get a show of hands who has and has not, but it just goes much better. This is a study together. And so if you would order your book, you can order it off Amazon. It's the best place to order it. It's relatively inexpensive. As Pastor said, it's an easy read. And it's got some real personal questions at the back that you'll ask yourself some questions about uh, your life and your walk with the Lord, and you'll get to share that at, at a table like we've been doing. So I'm excited about that. This Wednesday night, be here early. We're going to have food. I always say that because that draws you out. I mean, it just does. You folks come to eat. And so we're going to assist. Uh, um, Felicia's going to be here. She's going to make hot dogs. And so come early. Uh, get yourself a hot dog and a drink and be ready for the teaching Wednesday night. This past Wednesday night was very special here at Bethel. It was a very special time. My uh, daughter-in-law, Madison, did a four-week study on the Holy Spirit. Uh, she, first, she looked at the, we looked at the Holy Spirit of the Old Testament, then looked at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, then we studied the gifts. And, and as we approached that study on the gifts, she came and she said, 
do you think it would be a good idea if we ended this with a panel discussion? Because there's a lot of questions about this. And I said, you know, I think it's a great idea. And so, and then give people a chance to receive and give people a chance to pray and seek God. And so last Wednesday night, we, we had our last study of that here in the fellowship, here in the sanctuary. And we had a great discussion. People got to hear from, as I said, relatively normal people, how, how the Holy Spirit works in them, how they received the purpose of it and the power of it. And then we had a great time of prayer around here where people seeking God and praying. And, and it was hard because we know our praise and worship team has to practice. And I'd ask Brother Michael, I said, can you give us a little time? Certainly don't want to rush this. And they typically start practicing, I think, around 8.30. And so our service ended about 8.20. And, and I just watched people stay and linger around the altar, some weeping, talking to people, praying for each other. And finally, it was pushing 9 o'clock, and I, I stood up, and I, I don't know how long these folks would have stayed if I hadn't run them out. But, and I hated to do it. But I thought about when the Holy Spirit was first poured out in the book of Acts. The Bible says they were in one accord. And there was a sense of unity and peace and love in this sanctuary uh, like I've not seen in a long time. And so it was a special, special night. And for those of you who prayed and for those of you who are seeking a deeper experience with the Lord, you keep seeking what you're seeking from the Lord. He will provide for you. So Wednesday night was great. This coming study is going to be great. And we just hope you'll get your book and be prepared for that. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of James. Uh, I, last week, we... Uh, we looked at what we called external trials. We're in the first chapter of the book of James. In the first chapter of the book of James, he deals with the trials of life. And the trials of life are twofold. They're external and they're internal. And last week, we looked at the external trials of life. And I, I challenged you on those trials with three verbs, the first verb being count. James said, count it all joy. And when I read that, and likely when you read it, I thought, that's what do you, seriously what do you mean count it all joy when we face various trials the better word there is to consider to consider or count to understand that trials are coming that there's a purpose in those trials and we consider that we have to get outside the initial shock of the news as pastor did we had to get outside the initial shock that I have cancer and start to consider what God may do for him and through him in it so count it and the trials are various some of them come to us because we're human. The everyday trials and the struggles of life that we all deal with simply because we're human. Some trials come because we're Christians. And we're seeing an increase in that in our culture here today as we've never seen before. Some trials are more serious in nature with sickness or the death of a loved one or loss of a job. And we're not exempt from them as followers of Christ. So we have to count it or consider it. Next is to know. We face our trials with certain things we know, not how we feel. When the trials of life hit us, we're going to feel all kinds of ways. We're going to feel panic, fear, doubt, worry, and that's normal part of being a human being. But then there's certain things that we have to know. We have to know that as we face trials, God is with us. He won't leave us and He won't forsake us. We have to know that there's another side to the trial. You're coming through that. God will see you through your trial, and that they result in some things. They result, they reveal the genuineness of our faith. It doesn't take long for a new person to come into the church for the first time the real trial of life hits to find out 
how genuine is their faith? Because trials test our faith, and the Scripture showed us that. And that testing produces patience. It makes us perfect and complete. So we have to count, we have to know, and finally we have to ask. There's going to be questions. Those of you who Pastor pointed out today, and Pastor, I'm sure there was times, why, God? Why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? Ask. Ask who? Ask God for wisdom. Ask Him to help you face these things. Ask Him to help you make good decisions in the, in the face of it, and God will provide for you. Those were the external trials. This morning, I want to look at the internal trials. The internal trials. The internal trials that come mainly through temptation. We are all, just as we all face trials, we all face temptations. Now, I want to give you a few statistics on, on temptations that I ran across. First, this is what tempts men and women. Men, sex, 50% of the time. Women, 22% of the time. Food, men, 29%. Women, 56%. I could say a lot about that. Just those two statistics right there. But I won't. Money, men, 14%. Women, 15%. Alcohol, men 7%, women 2%, and power, men 2%, and women 7%. Now, that was amongst just U.S. adults. I also found another study of what tempts us as believers. What tempts us as believers? Number one was materialism. Some of these were a bit of a surprise to me. Number two was pride. Number three was self-centeredness. Number four was laziness. And tied for fifth was anger and bitterness and sexual lust. And then seven was envy, eight was gluttony, and nine was lying. And I found this interesting. It said survey respondents noted temptations were more potent when they had neglected their time with God, when they were physically tired. Resisting temptation was accomplished by prayer, 84%, avoiding compromising situations, 76%, Bible study, 66%, and being accountable to someone, 52%. So we all face trials, and they're various. We see what kinds that we face from statistics. My problem in our culture today, in our society, is typically we won't call it what it is. Oftentimes we'll hear somebody get up, even believers, and they say, well, I made a mistake. No, you sinned. No, the devil came to you and he enticed you and he tempted you and you failed to it and you sinned. But God's faithful. God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we'll ask him. So one of the things I think we need to do as believers is own up. We live in a culture today that wants to blame everybody, for, everybody else for things. Won't my fault. This is the government's fault. Or it's a different race's fault. Or it's the, the system's fault. Whoever's fault. Ultimately, and all those things play into it, but ultimately it's our fault. It's our fault. I ran across a statement made by John MacArthur that I think is very true. It said that every sin we commit passes directly through our will. If you're involved in sin today, it passes directly through your will to do it. And we'll look at that as we go a little bit more. We want to say the devil made me do it. Well, the devil tempted you, I can tell you that, but he didn't make you do it. you got to make a choice. So if you have your Bibles, that's what we'll look at this morning. If you'll look, turn with me to James 1, 
and we'll read 12 through 27. 12 through 27. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good, and, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he was like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was." And he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Lord, I thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your presence that's been here. Thank you for how relevant James' teaching is to his congregation, as it is to us today in our congregation. So I pray your blessing. I pray, Lord, you prepare the hearers to hear the word. You prepare my heart to deliver it. In Jesus' name, amen. I recently saw a question on social media that asked, what was the hardest part of being a Christian? The responses varied, but many were about the struggle with the flesh through temptation. I tend to agree with that. Temptation and the battle with the flesh is an ongoing struggle in the life of the believer. There's three primary doctrines in our Christian faith. There's the doctrine of justification. The moment you come to Christ, you repent of your sin, you put your trust in him. That means that you have been released from sin's penalty. Sin's penalty is death. And we come to him, put our trust in him, he releases us from that. And then there's sanctification. That's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. That's what starts to clean us up. And then there's glorification. That's one day we'll be removed from sin's presence. There's a lot of things I look forward to in heaven. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to look at Jesus, the Son of God, face to face. I can only imagine. There was a song written about it. I can only imagine what that's going to be like. To see the saints of old, to see my loved ones who've gone before, and as you get older, and certainly as you face trials of life, heaven starts to be a little more sweeter to you. But i got to tell you, one of the things that I look forward to in heaven is being removed from sin's presence. I get tired of the temptation. And I'm going to tell you, just because I stand in front of a pulpit right now and I might have pastor in front of my name right now, doesn't mean that I'm not tempted. I am. 
Just like we all are. We all are. And I've said this to many before. The Christian walk is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And some of you, particularly some of you younger folks, you might look up at me and say, well, gosh, when I get as old as he is, I won't, especially talk to the men for a minute, I won't deal with some of the things he's dealing with. Uh, wrong. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and tell you, wrong. You might as well prepare yourself for this to be a lifelong struggle. As a matter of fact, I have a good friend of mine. He, some of you know him. His name is Chris McKeel, and he's, he's very faithful to uh, Bible study in some nursing homes in the area. And he told me this recently. He said he was talking with some men in there, and these men are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And they were just having a conversation after the study. He said, guys, let me ask you a question. At what point, as a man, do you quit you know, struggling with these thoughts maybe of women that you shouldn't have? And those men looked at him and said, when we get there, we'll let you know. <laughs> okay? So I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Temptation is something we're going to deal with our entire lives on various things. And you've seen some of them, whether it's pride, whether it's materialism, whether it's sexual temptation. They're, they're out there. They're around us all. And it's getting harder and harder, particularly for young people, bombarded with things. How do we deal with it? Today we'll look at it and how we can deal with it and how we can get better and better and better at dealing with it. First, what is temptation? First, what is temptation? It's not a sin. Temptation is not a sin and it's to be expected. I said we all deal with it. And I think it's maybe even harder for our younger believers, for new believers to the Lord. Because right there, they've come out of this, this maybe a lifestyle and to think that they're just going to come out and all of a sudden, bang, I'm not going to have these desires anymore. Everything's going to get better. That's not necessarily how that's going to work. That sanctification process starts the moment someone gets saved. But it's not a sin. Temptation is an enticement to evil. It's an enticement to sin and to evil. It's enticement to do something that is contrary to God's word. That's what temptation is. We certainly know it wasn't a sin because Jesus was sinless, but yet he was tempted. Satan took Jesus up and tempted him. You can read about that in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. But the story tells, both those gospel writers write about that situation. What I found interesting is he came and tempted Jesus after 40 days of fasting. He was hungry. I thought about that as it said that in the statistic that people are tempted where they're physically tired. Satan may come to you at times of a moment of weakness. He's cunning. But what did Jesus use to deal with him? The Word of God. The Word of God. Every time Satan would tempt him, he'd say, it is written. It is written. It is written. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 119.11 says, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're going to battle temptation in any ways, you're going to have to know the Word. You need to read God's Word. You need to study God's Word. You need to be around people. You need to come on Wednesday nights and study and listen to God's Word and listen to people discuss and talk about living this and walking this from their perspective. The times they've got it right and the times we've got it wrong. Jesus was tempted. So how do we deal with it? Verses 12 and 13 says this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord 
has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is tempted. When he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. First of all, look at that. It says, blessed is the man who endures. That word there is drawn away. It means he's drawn away. It says that he is drawn away by his own evil desires. Another word is lured. How many fishermen we have in here? Any fishermen? God, we got to have a few fishermen in here. Wow. What do you use? Look, fish are stupid. I don't think fish are that smart. But I tell you this, when you go fishing and I hadn't fished much, you just throw a wet hook out there. They're not going to bite it. They're smarter than that. So what do you do? You put a worm on it. Or you have your favorite lure. And a lot of times they're flashy. they got metal things on them. They're colorful. They, they, they entice. They lure that fish. And that's the... That's the imagery there that that James is using. He puts something out there that you're enticed by, that lures you by your own, each one, each one by our own evil desires. And many times, look, we have desires. God has given us desires, but every one of our desires has a capacity for evil. I have a desire to eat after I get out of church today. I have a desire to eat often. Well, within that desire to eat, There's a capacity for evil. There's a capacity to overeat. There's a capacity for gluttony. There's a capacity to take that food and destroy my body with it. And oftentimes people come and they they want prayer in certain things, but they don't want to make a change. We all have sexual desires. God has given us sexual desires. God created that. And there's a capacity for evil in it. We have the capacity for sex outside of marriage. There's capacity for adultery. There's capacity for pornography. All those things are within a natural desire. God, when I did this study on the Ten Commandments, it's called God's guardrails. He gives us guardrails. He gives us boundaries of which we can enjoy life with. But when we get outside of that, we get outside and we get into our own evil desires. But he says endure it. What does it mean? Endure means to bear it. Persevere under it. It's not easy. Temptation is not easy. But don't give up. The reward is worth it. The reward is worth it. He said, I'll give a crown of life to those who love him. Why do I bear under the temptation? Why do I still stay in this thing, although I hate the temptation? Why do I stay in it even at times when I fail and I say, God, forgive me? Why? Because I love Jesus. And he loves me. And I want to be pleasing to him. And I want that crown of life. I want to walk those streets of gold. I want to be in heaven where he is. So I'm going to stay in this thing and I'm going to endure it. And I'm going to bear it. Knowing that it's coming. Knowing that it's coming. God is not our tempter. Satan is. The Bible says when Jesus was tempted, it said he went up and he was tempted by Satan. But God always provides us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 reads like this. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. That word temptation there, the Greek word could be trial. Could be trial. So last week we looked at the external trials. This is the internal trials. So this could easily say no trial or temptation has overtaken you other than what is common to man. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. But God is faithful. 
But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond, beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And I think too many times, if we're not careful, we'll go out and get ourselves into something or get, start messing around with something we shouldn't be messing around with, waiting for God to enact this verse and expect God to bail us out of a mess that we shouldn't have been in in the first place. I'm not real sure it's going to work that way. He's already made several ways of escape for us. I'm going to tell you three ways. And I'm going to tell you, the best way to escape it is not get in it. The best way to escape it is not get in it. It's not mess around with it. But three ways of escape. He's made escape through His Word. He's made an escape through His Word. Spend time in His Word. You'll find escape from temptation in His Word. He's made escape in His presence. You spend time in the presence of the Lord. You spend time in your personal devotion. You spend time in church. You spend time under anointed worship, under anointed preaching. And you'll find that temptation doesn't pull at you as bad or you're not as easy to succumb to it. And he's made an escape through the saints. Being around people who will hold you accountable. Being around people who will say, build you up and try to challenge you not to fall into the things and put yourselves in certain situations. James later on will say, confess your sins. We don't do this. Confess your sins one to another. Have a trusted brother. Have a trusted sister that you can say, let me tell you where I've messed it up. Let me tell you where I'm struggling this week. That's so important. And I think it's something we don't do. But God will make a way of escape. But if we don't deal with that temptation there, if we don't get a handle on it, what happens is then it results in what is called the cycle of sin. The cycle of sin in verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Drawn away, lured by our own desires. He says that the desire is conceived. Deal with it there. Deal with The Bible says take every thought captive. When that temptation comes upon you, deal with it where it is conceived. That's what, that's what Joseph did. We did a study on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we didn't get into Joseph. Joseph was a young man. Joseph was a good-looking man. And he had risen up the ranks in leadership in Egypt. And he was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife saw Joseph, and she wanted Joseph. So she said to Joseph, Joseph, come lie with me. And Joseph was like, not today. But he said two things. How can I sin against my God? And how can I do this to Potiphar? He's, he's trusted me. So he ran out of the house. I don't think there's anywhere else in the Bible. Now, you, you Bible scholars can tell me. But I don't think there's anywhere else in the Bible where it says flee. And there comes a time, men and women, particularly men, you better be stepping out of there because you're about to get yourself in a situation that you're not going to be able to control. And that's what Joseph did. He ran out of there so fast he left his coat. And Potiphar's, when Potiphar came back, his wife said, accused him of trying to sexually assault her, and he ended up in jail and all those things. It's another story. Read it in the Bible. But he fled out of there. That's what David should have done when he got up on top of the castle, when he looked over there and saw Bathsheba. When that, when that sin was conceived, when that idea was conceived, he should have said, let me get off this rooftop. Because he already was thinking. He's already thinking. But he didn't. He said, go get her and bring her over here. 
And then well, you know the rest of the story. Deal with it there. Deal with it when it's conceived. Because if you don't, it's going to give birth to sin. I, I, there was a book in the, in, um, it was the prayer room at that time, but now it's Michael and Chip's office. And I searched high and low for that book. It must have got purged. But it was called Why Good Men Are Tempted. And this is several years ago, and I, I, was, I was flipping through that book, and I ran across a chapter, and I found myself reading it. And it said this. It said this. And I think this is true of men and women. I think it can be true of sexual sin or any other sin. We know that the, the Bible tells us that the carnal mind is hostile to the things of God. The carnal mind, our carnal desires that are outside, that those evil desires get outside his boundaries, they're hostile to the things of God. And what he said, what the writer of this book said, he said, there comes a point of no return. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how full of the Holy Ghost you are. I don't care how much you speak in tongues. You put yourself in a certain situation. That fleshly desire is going to rail up so much in you that the things of God are just going to become hostile. You're going to hate them. And you're going to fall into something you wish you hadn't fallen into. And we've seen that time and time again from pastors, leaders. And I'm here to tell you, pastors, leaders, and you as believers, you're public enemy number one. And his desire is to destroy you. His desire is to destroy you. And that's what happens. And then sin then is birth, and sin brings forth death. And the wages of sin is death. If you stay in unrepentant sin, the wages of sin is death. Thank God that if you fall, if you, if you sin, and you, thank God he's a God of second, third, and fourth chances. You repent, and God forgives it. But, but if, you, if you've fallen into this trap, well, I'll do it and repent, do it and repent, do it and repent. No. doesn't work that way. You're playing, you're presuming on God's grace. And that's a dangerous, dangerous presumption. I want to share a personal story with you. I've shared this uh, a few years ago, but I think it very well illustrates this. Several years ago, I was in a Wendy's restaurant. I was working. I was in uniform. And I was sitting there, and this young lady come out from behind the counter, and she brought me a Frosty. I said, well, thank you. And she said, it's from her. So I looked, and there was a very young Latino girl, very attractive. She waved and smiled, and I waved and smiled. And so a thought goes into your head. Maybe don't do, maybe they don't do that. You, maybe you're, you guys are way up here, and I'm, I'm still down here. But a thought goes in your head. And so you think about it. And so I sit there, and I think about that. But as I think through it, I start to think through it. Start to think about this for a moment. So here's how this could play out. I could say, hey, go get me her number. And I could hatch a plan that would end up in sin. And maybe I would get away with it. But I wouldn't get away with it in the eyes of God. And I have to deal with that conviction. So that's one option. The other option is I could hatch that plan and God in His grace exposes it, which often He does. You're not, you're not going to hide your sin from God for so long particularly if he's placed you in certain positions. God's going to keep his house pure. And so I begin to think through that, and I think, okay, so that I do this thing, and it gets exposed. It may very well cost me on marriage. 
If it doesn't, it's going to do damage to my marriage for the rest of my marriage. I got to go look at my boys and say, guys, I've, I've sinned. I've, I've messed it up bad. I got to come into this church and repent and stand before you and repent because that's what the Bible says do and sit down for a while to be restored for my relationship with this church probably to never be the same. And then I've got to go into my workplace where for the last several years of my career I tried to be a witness for Christ and show that I was a person of integrity and lived it. And I thought about that and I said, hmm. And I got my frosty and I walked out of there. That would have been one expensive frosty. <laughs> and when I say it passes through your wheel, that's what I mean. And God will put you in those positions and He knows where you're weak. And you have to make a decision, no, I cannot do this thing. One, one preacher I like to listen to a lot, I listen to a lot of preaching when I, when I work out, but one guy I really love to listen to is a, is a pastor by the name of Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish guy. I love his accent. And I found this, uh, this advice that he gave when dealing with temptation. He says that when we deal with temptation, we have to deal with it immediately, we have to deal with it ruthlessly, and we have to deal with it consistently. Immediately. When the thought comes in, the Bible says, take it captive. Don't sit there and dwell on it. Don't say, well, we'll just have a cup of coffee. Don't say, it'll just be one time. Deal with it immediately. We have to deal with it ruthlessly. Do you think Jesus thought we should deal with sin ruthlessly? What did he say? If your eye offends you, gouge it out. If your hands offends you, cut it off. Now, we know that's metaphor. We know that's hyperbole a little bit. But I don't think the, the principle's not. If there's something in your life that's leading you into sin, deal with it ruthlessly. And deal with it consistently. Paul said, I die daily. Get up every day. Have some time in the Word. Deal with it consistently. I found this by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this. What settings are you in when you fall? Avoid them. What props do you have that support your sin? Eliminate them. And these things right here in our computers are props for sin like the world has never seen. And if you're a young person today, whether it's TikTok or anything else, you better take this serious. Parents, you need to take it serious. You need to be careful about what you're letting your kids do with these phones. You need to put some serious restrictions on them because some bad and dangerous things. Satan is using these things. What props do you have that support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with? Avoid them. You come to the Lord, there might be certain people you got to carve out of your life. you got to carve them out. You can let them know you love them, but you're trying to live different. And maybe once you grow in the Lord, then you can go back and maybe be a witness to them. But initially, you need to carve them out of your life. There are two equally damning lies that Satan wants us to believe. Just once won't hurt. And now that you've ruined your life, you're beyond God's use and might as well enjoy your sinning. That's a lie from the devil. If you've fallen before, you've sinned before, you come before a gracious and a merciful God, you repent, God can restore you and use you. Yes, there may be lifelong consequences to that sin 
in the natural, but in the spiritual, God will use you. That is the cycle of sin. God gives good gifts. In verses 16 through 18, James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he has brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He says, don't be, don't be deceived. Don't, don't let Satan deceive you. This whole thing that we just talked about, the cycle of sin, it is the exact same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. The exact same thing. God has given us much to enjoy. I think too many times Christians come and like, well, I can't do nothing. I can't have any fun. Yes, you can. I thoroughly enjoy life. But it's my desire to try to enjoy life within the confines and the boundaries that God has given me. He's given, he had given Adam and Eve everything. He said, everything in the garden you can have. And everything in there was good. But Satan come along and deceived him, and he got Eve off, off all the good things that God had given him and got her to focus on the one thing. He said, you don't do this. And he ain't changed his tactics. He still does the same thing. Satan had had deceived Eve that what God had for her was not good enough. And that's what he does to us today if we're not careful. I'm going to close with this last point. Clean up and get busy being doers of the word. And that's what James is teaching us in verse 21 through 27. I won't read that again. I'll ask the... uh, uh, We're not not doing the praise team, right? We're going to finish with with music. from the computer. He says this. He says, lay aside, therefore lay aside all the filthiness and the wickedness. Since God has given us good things, since we can enjoy God himself, we can enjoy life in the con, then lay aside all this stuff. Lay aside the filthiness and the wickedness of the world if it's in our lives. And be doers of the word. I have found in my life That if you're actively involved in some type of ministry, if you're actively doing something with your faith, and what I have done through this and what I'll do again today is challenge you to be a doer of the word. To talk to someone, to encourage someone, to go and pray for someone. I told you that the purpose of the church is for the equipping of you, the saints, to go out and do the work of the ministry. And we've heard some great stories already. But I will tell you, if you find yourself doing that, if you find yourself going and praying for a coworker, if you find yourself witnessing to someone, you will find this will build up your spirit so much, much more, and you will find temptation easier to deal with because you're now a doer of the Word. And you want to you be complete. You want to be pure in doing that work. And that's what James is saying. And it, Have you ever heard it said that idle hands are the devil's workshop? Well, that's it. God didn't call us, save us, clean us up, give us the anointing, give us the power for us to keep it in here. He he commanded us as Christians said to go, to take it out there. And people are hungry for it. He says pure and undefiled religion before God is this. And and, and we're going to deal extensively with being doers of the word uh, over the next couple weeks. Pure and undefiled religion is this. It controls the tongue. It helps the needy, the orphans, and the widows, and it remains unspotted from the world.
I don't know what Satan tempts you with. He, all, he tempts us all with something at times. But I will tell you this, the more you stay in God's Word, the more you stay in His presence, the more you stay around people, God's people, you'll find. And the longer you walk this thing out, the temptations will be easier to deal with. You'll know how to deal with them. And I thank God for that. I thank God for But God is faithful. I'm going to ask everyone, if you will, to stand. Tammy's going to start some music. We got a great uh, Sunday today. We're going to welcome two families into our church here momentarily, but I don't want to close without uh, giving someone who's here an opportunity to, to surrender themselves to the Lord. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, or if you have, maybe there's a temptation that the Satan is just pounding you with, and you just want some believers. You don't necessarily have to tell us what it is. Come up here to the altar. We'll have some men or women gather around you and pray. We'll pray for you. But let me say this, church. You've got to put some boundaries. You've got to do some natural things. As Spurgeon said, you might have to cut some things loose. You might have to realize there's some props in my life. And you might, you've got to make some decisions within yourself. You can't keep doing the same things that you know lead you into the same temptations. And so if that's you this morning, you're like, look, I, I, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to make some decisions. God will move and help you when he, when he senses it. You're really, really ready. You're really ready. I remember several years ago, we had a group come here. It was a group that, that had a recovery group that had recovered from some addictions. And one of them come and knelt down right there and prayed. He had dealing with a heroin addiction, and he was in a recovery program. And Junius Westbrook went to pray with him. And some of you know Junius' story. That was Pastor Don's brother. He was an alcoholic for years, and God delivered him because he got serious. Completely delivered Junius. So Junius went to pray with him, and I moved because, see, Junius has been there. He, he knows what, what that was like. Junius, and, and the guy stood up, and the guy was tall. You know, Junius kind of short, so I just saw Junius standing there talking to that guy, and I watched. I watched that encounter. And Junius walked back. He looked me right now. He said, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's not ready to let it go. And so if you want to hang on to your sin, God will let you hang on to it. But if you're ready to let it go, he'll empower you to let it go. That's the choice. That's the choice. And sin gives forth to death. And our desire here is that you all know the Lord. And that you don't die in your sin. That you don't die separated from the Lord. So if you're here this morning and there's something and the Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now saying, I need to go down there and pray. I need to go down there and get this right. The altar's open.